Welcome to Spectrum Sundays. I am Megan Sinisi, Miss Pennsylvania 2021 and the founder of a nonprofit organization for autism titled From a New Perspective. I am also a speech language pathologist with a master's degree from the University of Missouri. And I am Francesca D'Alessandro, serving my community through AAA Appreciation and Awareness for Autism. I am also a speech language pathologist with a master's degree from the University at Buffalo. Everyone deserves to feel accepted and included in every space they walk in. Our series aims to inspire you to advocate for yourself and on behalf of your loved ones. And we are so grateful that you're here with us today. Virginia Mangiolardi is the mother of two very active little boys named Michael and Nico. Michael is six years old and Nico is four years old. Nico was just diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder in February 2021, but she and her family are quickly learning and applying skills he has learned from his support services. Mikey is Virginia's fun-loving kiddo with a thirst for knowledge and always looking to help people. He's a great son and brother and is always looking out for Nico and others. In addition to the duties of being a mother, Virginia also works outside the home as a vice president, senior business analyst for PNC Bank. This year, she also started serving as a community member for the Autism Speaks Walks in the Laurel Highlands and in Pittsburgh. Virginia is married to a wonderful man, Michael, who is an amazing dad and supports their family in every aspect of life. Michael and Virginia are a team when it comes to family and are navigating this course as best as they can in support of their son, Nico. Virginia welcomes you to reach out to her as she would love to support you and your family in any way that she can as we stumble, walk, and run through this ASD journey together. So Virginia, thank you so much for being with us on Spectrum Sundays. It was such a pleasure to meet you at the Pittsburgh Autism Walk yes. just a few weeks ago. So we are so excited to get to know you and your family and this fairly new journey for all of you as well. So as we start this conversation about Nico and his new journey, we always like to start Spectrum Sundays with addressing some language preferences. So we usually ask, especially our self-advocates, if they prefer person-first language or person with autism, or if they prefer identity-first language, which would be saying autistic person. So as a mother, do you have a preference or have you noticed if Nico has any preferences about this language? No, I, I, I don't have a preference. Maybe as he gets older, he may, but I, I don't think he fully like grasps the concept yet because honestly, Megan, I don't really think he knows. He's just himself, you know what I mean? So we'll see as he gets older, if he identifies either way, but right now, no. Thank you for that. And if you're comfortable uh, with talking us through what that process of being diagnosed looks like for your family and Nico, um, could you share more about that? Sure. So um, I had Nico evaluated at two years old by DART, which is our state agency through Pennsylvania. He just wasn't talking or, or speaking like he should be. He had, at that point, he had hit all his developmental milestones, but just um, the language wasn't functional. Um, we couldn't get him to tell us his name. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. So we had him evaluated in all areas by the state. And when they came in, 
at um, this is early intervention. It's called the Alliance for Infants in Pennsylvania. They came in and evaluated him. And what they explained was a speech and dev delay was his first diagnosis at two. And that was like the evaluation through the, the state. So we started services at two through the Alliance. So we started with a um, speech therapist, um, an occupational therapist through Alliance. And then as we, as he got older, when he was three, we um, did uh, the transfer to DART because DART picks up when they turn three years old. Alliance, Alliance takes you from infancy, infancy until um, three years old. And then on their third birthday, then DART picks up the um, services or whatever. So through DART, after we did, um, we did an IEP with DART. That was our first IEP we did. And what we did, we, we decided that he needed developmental, he needed speech, and he also needed um, occupational therapy. So um, we started with that with the state. And um, I've become very close with his DART developmental teacher. And she said to me, um, this is about when Nico was about three and a half. She said, um, she's like, and this was off the record. She said, if Nico was, cause they're not allowed to diagnose, but she said, if Nico was my kiddo, I would probably have him evaluated. I think it could go either way. So I said, okay. So I talked to my husband and like the last thing we wanted to do was like deny there was a problem there because the, the label, I know a lot of people associate it with bad, but it actually has helped him so much because it's given us um, a lot of different um, avenues to explore with like the different services and everything that are in place. So, so that's what we did with DART. And then I had him evaluated by um, a private psychologist because Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh couldn't get me until June 8th of this year. So I ended up going with a private, um, with a private uh, psychologist because, I mean, that was like four months, five months of services that he would have lost. And this is such a big developmental period. We didn't want to miss any opportunity. So we had a private psychologist um, get us in within two weeks of our phone call. So we went to his office for about three hours one night we had to answer like a series of probably over a hundred questions about Nico. Um, he talked to us and then um, he had someone else observe Nico for about an hour. And then he observed Nico for an hour. And when he came back in the room, he said that Nico is mildly autistic. Um, language is not functional. He has, um, he has trouble focusing um, and so, also with his diagnosis, they have um, rule out ADHD. So we're actually probably gonna revisit it before he goes to school and see if it is a factor now, cause I think that it is. Cause his mind, um, so many things pop into it at the same time. It's hard for him sometimes to like stay focused and sit down and do one thing. It's always all over the place. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's been our journey so far. So then from the diagnosis, 
I think the next day I was on the phone, like trying to see what I could get in place for him because I, I knew DART wasn't enough. It was only three hours a week. So um, I wanted to get wraparound in place for him. And the doctor was wonderful. He got me a diagnosis over really quickly, like just like a short diagnosis so that I had the ASD diagnosis so I could get the ball rolling. Right. And um, they gave me the HSAO, which is the Human Services um, Organization in Pennsylvania. And that was the service coordinator that, you know, is supposed to help you um, get services in place for the children. The only thing is they were just doing email blast. So I knew that that wasn't going to do anything. So I ended up calling the um, special needs department of my insurance and of my current insurance, and they are the ones who really helped us. So like, if I can offer anything, call the special needs department of your insurance, because actually they are the ones who have guided me through the process of getting the services in place, because I was on um, the phone with Allegheny County for four hours Wednesday, getting flipped between MA and CHIP. And because that, they told me to submit the application online. Well, the application online goes based off of income. So if you don't qualify for the income level, it just routes you to full price CHIP. So, and they have no way to re reroute your application. So you have to, in Pennsylvania, you have to apply through a program called the PH95 Child Loophole Program, and you have to fill out a series of forms. You have to submit your income, but this loophole program bases the insurance off of medical necessity and not income. Because unfortunately, private, service, private insurance only gives you like 30 sessions a year. Even though it's good insurance, I mean, you'll burn through 30 sessions in a, in a month. Mm -hmm. So you have to get them medical assist assistance as secondary in order for the services to be covered. Wow. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot to us in preparation mm -hmm. of this episode about mm -hmm. that challenge that it's been for your family to receive services because of your income and, and how mm -hmm. it's kind of offset and it's the opposite problem for you where you can't receive services because of a certain income level. So thank you for sharing that as a mm -hmm. resource for people to seek out. But something that you touched upon that I'd love to kind of bring back was a few comments. Number one, that's often the case that there are a lot of long wait lists and people have to wait months, sometimes up to a year to just receive an autism diagnosis. So I commend you for finding your own route of getting an answer even sooner because those formative years are so crucial in development. So kudos to you as a parent. Um, and that's also an encouragement for other parents to be a little persistent as well and, and not to let up if they truly feel in their heart that there's something different about their child. And that brings me to another piece that you touched upon is that denial. You didn't, you didn't want to be in a denial phase of accepting an autism diagnosis. So it sounds like you were in a good place that you were ready to accept that as part of who Nico is and why he's so special and so such a great kiddo. Um, but that is a natural process for a lot of parents because yeah. they often envision a life for their child and a diagnosis of any sort, whether that's, you know, ADHD or a cancer diagnosis. You just don't know what the future may look like. So we've heard that a lot from 
are autism parents that they went through that process themselves and they maybe even went through a little bit of a grief period, but then it ultimately comes back to this acceptance. So can you talk about maybe what emotions your family went through and any encouragement you would share with other parents going through the same thing? Sure. So that night um, afterwards, like Mike and I, we needed like, we needed a few days to process it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, we knew something was off, but we didn't think, I guess, to that degree. Do you know what I mean? Like we we knew there was a speech and dev delay um, and such. And like I said, not that it's a bad thing, but the worst part about it is he was so, um, Nico was so frustrated because he couldn't talk to us. He was um, scripting and repeating using a lot of echolalia and, um, like couldn't answer a question. Like if we asked him a question, we wouldn't get a response. And now it, it's so different, but that grieving period, I would say that weekend, it took Mike and I a little bit to, you know, come through it. And some people in our family, they were like, and, and, and this I feel like is generational, that they kind of lump everything in together and think, like they don't fully understand what it is and they're like I guess I would say almost like embarrassed by it and like at that moment that's not like what you need to hear because you're like because um, naturally your mind catastrophizes to down the road and is Nico going to be able to take care of himself what are we going to do to make sure that Nico can take care of himself? So these are all the thoughts that ran through Mike's my, mine and Mike's mind that night. So sorry, it's like, it makes you, um, you just worry, you know? And like, I, I knew something was off because my other son was having full conversations with us at that age. So we, we had something to compare it to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So thank you for being raw and vulnerable and showing some of that emotion. Um, if our autism parents are comfortable sharing that, we do appreciate that because it shows a little bit of the, the realness behind the weight of a diagnosis. But of course, since then, like you said, so many opportunities have been unlocked. So um, it's natural to go through that process of a little bit of grief and wondering. Yeah, yeah. And like... Um... I'm going to set up an ABLE account for him. So I have a 529 for Mikey, but I don't know that Nico will go to college. I'm not sure yet. I mean, the doctor says he will be fully functional and be, and be able to be on his own, but like, you know, you still wonder. So they have, um, Pennsylvania has an account that you can set up um, for children called the ABLE account, and you can set it up through the state and you can help find somebody to help you manage it. You apply for it online and it it's kind of like a 529, but it doesn't have to be used for college. It can be used for other things just in case he's not going to be able to do that. I mean, I don't know that he won't be, but it's just, you know, that thoughts in your mind, you know, and a 529 can really only be used for education. So you can switch beneficiaries on a 529, but you can't um, you can't use it for other things like an ABLE account. So then when you were learning about this ABLE account, 
Um, Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, it was an emotional process for you to process the things that were coming and to wonder about what could be next. Was there a moment of hope that you felt or a positive emotion that you felt for Nico in in embracing that as part of his identity? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I, I positive. I mean, he's such a loving little being. We're, we're very blessed. He is, um, he's a cuddler. He, he likes, um, he likes personal contact. He's always made eye contact. So that's, this is why he was kind of hard to diagnose because he wasn't like, like he didn't stim or anything. So it wasn't like um, telltale signs of autism that you hear about, you know, when people talk about it in like general and that even the doctor said he's, he wasn't, he's not an easy case to peg. He's like, to most people, he's like, they probably wouldn't, unless they work in the field, wouldn't even know with Nico. It's just like, we knew he couldn't talk to us. And that's his language wasn't functional, Megan, and I'm sure you understand what that means. It he couldn't um, fully express his needs. He was hitting all the time in daycare. He's no longer hitting because he uses his words now. So we're really proud of him. Um, and the speech actually, Becca told me last week his speech pathologist at um, SensoryLink. She's like, he has the language. We just need to work on the social. So I'm trying, um, it's very hard to find social groups right now. <laughs> so we did one motor group this year, like a, a cro- it was a cross motor group. So they, like we had the OTs there with the physical therapist and we did a cross motor with six kids. And then Becca's gonna try to start a group, just like a social language group, but she has to find enough kids of the same age group so that it works. Um, I'm gonna call a place um, up in Wexford near my house through UPMC, it's called Chatterbox. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but they weren't doing something earlier this summer, but they told me to call back in the fall. So I'm going to call tomorrow actually and see if they've decided to do a social group because that is where he struggles. Even yesterday at the mall, or I'm sorry, Sunday at the mall, when too many people come around, he asks me to hold him or he'll tell me, I want to go to the car meaning he needs like, he's done, it's too much. I will, I want to touch on some of those strategies and uh, tools that you use with Nico in a moment, but I wanna take a second to rewind. And as you're sharing your experience, I think of something that a self-advocate on our series has said before, her name is Haley Moss, and she um, is well known in the field for her story and her experience and something she said that really resonated with me is that um, sometimes full independence isn't really uh, the goal of some autistic people and in a way we all rely on other people for help through our lives and whether that be finances or schooling or otherwise and um, even though all of these questions are coming through your mind right now of what could happen um just i think having that support system for him as he goes on through his life is going to be so important and like and you're already creating that for him he you're already talking about social groups and services um and something that also caught my ear is that you you mentioned that his language 
before previously was non-functional. And this is something um, that Megan and I work on as speech language pathologists and his behaviors, which might have been perceived before as him being a, a naughty child, yeah. is really just his need to communicate um, mm -hmm. a want or a need. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you explain some, for every child that's going to look different, of course, or maybe um, some listeners out there who are just really struggling with their child and helping them um, communicate in this world how, what strategies or tools really helped me go in moments of frustration? So in moments of frustration, so we worked on, we started off slow using like one to two word phrases, like um, stop um, or like a hand gesture or something. Like, so it would happen. So and Nico was never really the aggressor. It was when a child like got like too close to him or took his toy. Like he never like, like it wasn't like malintent. You know what I mean? He literally wanted to be by himself. You know what I mean? And didn't want the other children to come over to him. Whereas now he is playing with the other children, which is a big change because it used to kill me to see all the pictures at daycare and he was always by himself. And now when I see pictures at daycare, he, he asked people to play with him now. I think he just didn't know how. So it was like small steps. So it was like one to two words. Like, so like two, this is a good thing to share with you. So two weeks ago, there's this little boy, Killian, and I guess he got like way too close to him one day. And he told Killian, he said, I need some space, Killian. And Killian, Killian got upset and started crying. And he said, Killian, thank you for giving me my space. And he's like actually noticing when people are sad, like if Mikey's sad or someone's sad, he goes, like he's so sad and he tries to go over and comfort him and stuff and he's like starting to notice like things all around him now where like he used to be in more of like his own little world but it's those strategies like using the one to two word phrases now that have become Killian I need some space you know that's like that's huge because that's like a full sentence you know what I mean and it's expressing his need and explaining why, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, that was big for him. Right. And that's leaps and bounds of improvement. I'm sure what you have seen just in language, but not only that, he's learning how to advocate for himself. And mm -hmm. that's such an important skill that we as speech therapists want our clients to hone in on, but for a young child to know what their needs are and not only to be able to communicate it, but to feel comfortable to ask for that space. And another thing about that is that he showed empathy and compassion mm -hmm. for that child that felt sad. Or like you said, when mm -hmm. Mikey feels sad, he understands that. And that's a common misconception that we have noticed um, mm -hmm. from the general public. Everyone thinks that those yeah. with autism don't have any empathy. And maybe it's because of some of their other characteristics that it just manifests differently, their empathy for others. But outside of that, a lack of empathy, what kind of misconceptions or stereotypes have you found to not be true that a lot of people hold about autism? Like, like what I was telling you earlier, like you always hear like the, um, the stigma around they're not warm, they're 
They don't like hugs. They don't, they don't like to be cuddled. They don't, um, they won't look at you when you speak. Now, Nico looks you dead in the eye. And, and if you don't pay attention to him, we have to work on this. He like will pull your face to you to him and make sure you're paying attention to what he's saying. So it's just, um, but I, I would say that's a big misconception. Oh, and then I had to explain to like my mother-in-law, I said, autism is not a marker of intelligence. I said, he's probably brighter than any of us in this room right now. It's just when he walks down the street, 70 things are coming at him at one time and he needs to learn how to cut through the noise in order to be able to function every day. Right. And I, I had a good analogy on my support group from one of um, the autistic um, people that work at PNC. He's a software developer. And he explained, he said to us, he said, what do you see when you look at a tree? And I said, when, when you see wind blowing through a tree. And I said, oh, I just see the branches blowing or whatever. He said, I see every leaf move. I feel every vibration. I see every cut in the bark. I see every leaf moving. I see the blades of grass underneath the tree moving. And this is all coming at me at one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually visited a sensory room today at the Lehigh Valley International Airport. And the general public, those that are neurotypical, might not understand the high intensity of all of those different sensory input, sensory stimuli all coming in at once. So I think that that's a great analogy. And that also lends to showing why those kinds of spaces are really important for people to have access sure. to. And to number one, that's why we work in occupational therapy and physical therapy to help those on the spectrum manage those moments. But also that's why we should never suppress stimming or self-regulatory yeah. behavior because that's mm -hmm. a way for them to take what they're seeing hearing and feeling and then right. regulate their bodies to control their output then right exactly because it, think about it in a lot of ways even typical um people bite their fingernails or scratch or you know you see people that pick their skin all the time. You see, so people do things that, or, or they're taking a lot of medicine to regulate themselves. You know what I mean? So it's really not that different. If you think about it, it's just some of their behaviors are not what we would quote, like put into a normal, a normal behavior. Like you think about it, biting nails is very common for people to calm themselves down. So we don't really look at that as like being weird, but really when you think about it, biting your nails is pretty gross. You know what I mean? Like, but like a lot of people do it, but that's what I mean. Is it, is it that different? Because I mean, we all have ways of calming ourselves down. We're actually, that's the next thing we're working on in OT is um, emotional regulation, like self-regulation with emotions. So that we're starting a new um, thing. She thinks he's ready for it. So well, that's great to hear. Yeah. And actually something on our series that we really like to advocate, advocate mm -hmm. for more than just autism is neurodiversity, which mm -hmm. encompasses autism, but other disorders too, like ADHD and yeah. stuttering. And we've had stuttering experts on our series before. 
and we were shocked initially about the overlap between the two different disorders um, because there's a lot of advocacy not only for themselves but uh, to help the outside world the neurotypical world understand some of the differences between the two communities the neurotypical and the neurodivergent so it's really great that uh, you're so aware and so enthusiastic and willing to share more about that and because we do have a wide variety of listeners including parents or ca caregivers what words of encouragement would you share with those who have just received an autism diagnosis for their child? We've already seen like leaps and bounds from February, like talking in full sentences, playing with toys the right way, playing with um, other children. Um, I actually, if you guys can see this, so this is how I taught him to spell his name. He loves window claims, okay? So I have Nico and Mikey there. I don't know if you can see it, but- I love it. Yeah, so we worked, um, he loves these. This is the way he stims actually. He loves these Halloween. He loves any window clings and he will play here for like 20, 20 or so minutes, just like in like, just doing like imaginative play with these things. But he likes, I think he likes the feel of them and like, they're kind of like, like jelly-like feeling and he'll play with them. But that's what we did. We used window clings and then the, I don't know if you guys have Trader Joe's near you, but um, I used the school book cookies and I would send his name in his lunch every day and they would practice and we would practice at dinner. It's like, you got to find these little strategies that work for him. So he likes to eat. So I'm like food and he likes window clings. So that's how we're working on letter recognition right now. That's awesome. And you did share that with me at the autism yeah. walk. And I think that that's just a fantastic idea to help with that letter recognition and sounds and, and making it fun for a kid too. So amazing work as a, a parent taking that on and making it fun yeah. for the child. So as we're wrapping up today, mm -hmm. what is one message that you would want to share either to help people understand autism or even just to leave a piece of a positive message for, for viewers that might be going through a similar journey? Well, there's a lot of support if, if, you, if you let it in. I would say if you can get past, it's basically if you can get past your own pride and you're able to admit, you know, that there is a problem there the support, the support you receive after getting the diagnosis is phenomenal. Like our wraparound, like they become part of your family basically, because they come here every week for two hours. They go, I have a BHT there for him three hours a day, every, every Monday through Friday down at the daycare center. So like, it's just, it's amazing. Like it, all these, all these people like willing to help you and knowing, trying different things and trying different strategies, because that's, that's another thing you can't give up because just because one thing doesn't work, you just have to keep like, um, trying and trying and trying and eventually something clicks. Like, um, you were talking about sensory room, um, his dentist office, it's called Miracle Dentist, Dental Associates, and it's in Wexford, Pennsylvania. He just had his um, dental appointment in the sensory room, and he's actually letting us brush his teeth now without pinning him down. Mm, that's amazing. So like we had an OT give us a really good strategy. What we did, we did these boxes 
And then we got up to 10 boxes and we had him cross out the box. And each time he would let us into his mouth um, farther and farther to the point now, Mike says, okay, Nico, it's time to brush your teeth. And he walks over and, and like, we're able to brush his teeth without, because before we used to have to pin him down, it was terrible. And he, not that his appointment was great at the dentist this time, but it was a lot better because well, we, did, we did an OT visit prior, the week prior to his real dental visit. And we did it in the sensory room. And then we also did his visit in the sensory room. And then the OT there did a social story that we read through with him and like showed a picture of him in the room when we were there that day. And we just, we just kept going through the social story. And that day we actually um, did the appointment in the sensory room and it made a big difference. And something I really liked that you mentioned earlier too, is that um, for parents or caregivers to recognize um, when your child is struggling and that's when you should really seek out services. And it's not just about the label and the stigma behind the label. It's about all the opportunity lost if they don't seek out those services and that extra support. So we really did appreciate all that you shared. Um, and we know that our listeners will find all of your advice valuable. So mm -hmm. thank you so much once again for visiting with us on Spectrum sure. Sundays, Virginia. And if any of you enjoyed this episode and would love to connect more with Virginia for support, please see, send her an email at vnt197932 at gmail.com. You can also find her on Facebook at Virginia Nicole and follow her on Instagram at gtgirly34. Thank you, everyone, and we will see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to Spectrum Sundays. We are your hosts, Miss Pennsylvania, Megan Sinisi. And Francesca D'Alessandro. Please make sure to subscribe to our series and follow us on social media to stay connected to autism professionals and self-advocates. And remember, true impact is accomplished through active listening and exploring the world through a variety of perspectives. Join us next week on Spectrum Sundays to help cultivate a community of inclusion, appreciation, and acceptance around autism.